Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Welcome this morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, We thank the Lord for another opportunity to be together on first day. This is not the weekend. This is the week beginning. This is the Lord's day. And I can't think of a better thing to do than to be with God's people on the Lord's day. On the first day. Giving Him the first day of the week is a way to just give a a great, cast a great shadow on the rest of the week. And I uh, am looking forward to tonight. We've already had a great time in Sunday school and this service. But tonight, uh, you're going to get a thrill from hearing the great report of what the Lord did in the land of India. And God used our great uh, missionary evangelist set out from our church, Pastor Mike. So I hope you'll come back tonight. And Pastor Mike, we're so grateful you were here. Where are you? Right there. God bless you. Love you. And uh, looking forward to a great time. I also want to say thank you to the church. My goodness. Wow. What? <laughs> I just... I just went to bed uh, Sunday night, uh, hungry, trying to figure out what to eat, at, uh, but uh, just so thrilled and amazed and tired and blessed. Uh, I think from about 4 o'clock till 9 o'clock, I just talked nonstop to everybody. I could sweet people. So many wonderful stories. Uh, one man was holding up a big, long string of tickets. He said, his kids were kind of around him. He said, I'm rich. And... <laughs> And he said, I've never been able to buy so much for $20 in all my life. And uh, I was so thrilled. One lady said, thank you so much for putting this on. We're going to have to come and visit. And I said, you please do. We want you to come be part of this great church and be here. And so for those of you that might be actually here, that first time on a Sunday, uh, other than coming to the services, thank you. Glad to have you back. And so grateful for the church uh, putting it on. An amazing group, I will tell you. You will not find a group of more hardworking, Jesus-loving people in all of America. I'm so grateful for this church. And so thank you for all that you did last week. All right, let's go back here now to the Sermon on the Mount. This is our 26th edition, I believe it is, of the Sermon on the Mount. We take it in little sections and try to have a theme. And so today's theme is prayer is the appointed means of obtaining what we need and to get the grace to obey Scripture. When Nancy Reagan was diagnosed with a malignant tumor, she had to undergo a mastectomy. Her husband, though he was the president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, he realized that even being the most powerful executive in all the world had its limits. Later, commenting on that event, he said, for all the powers of the president of the United States, I was in a situation that made me feel helpless and humble, but I knew I could pray. 
And I did a lot of praying for Nancy during those weeks. Without question, the greatest power and untapped resource in all of the world is prayer. There is simply no substitute for prayer in the Christian life. Not intellect, not enthusiasm, not passion, not commitment. Prayer is irreplaceable for success in no matter what we do. And frankly, I have to say this morning, I don't have a failure in my life, but what is really a prayer failure. When we pray, we don't inform God. He already knows. When we pray, we don't instruct God because he already has a will. What we do is invite God. Maybe we could say we invoke God for our needs, the strength to carry on, for our deeds, that is the tasks that we have to do, and power for the seeds that we have planted by faith. In prayer, we get to know God. In prayer, we grow in God. Prayer is absolutely irreplaceable in the successful life. In today's edition of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see what has been for me over 40 years, hands down, absolutely no question about it, the single most pattern, I struggle to say the word formula, but really kind of what it is, is just a step-by-step formula for successful prayer. And the wonderful thing I like about it is because it's not complicated. I'm really not a complicated guy. I'm one of those guys that like movies, you know, where it's pretty easy to figure out. The bad guy, the good guy, bad guy gets killed, you know, gets the love. That's about as deep it goes for me. I'm not complicated, but I will tell you, I'm grateful for things that aren't complicated in the Christian life. You don't have to have a master's degree in theology to appropriate this great truth this morning. You don't have to be a prayer poet with all the wonderful verbiage to be able to get through to God. This is absolutely an incredible passage. Prayer is the appointed means of obtaining what we need and the grace to obtain and obey Scripture. I may have mentioned it before, but I love the story. It plays into exactly what we're saying. There was a woman at work who received a phone call. Her daughter had become very sick with a fever. She left hurriedly and stopped by the pharmacy to get some medicine for her daughter, returning to the car only to find out that in her rush, she had locked her keys inside the house, inside the car. Starting to panic, she called home and told the babysitter what had happened, that she'd be a little bit lady later. The babysitter said, don't worry, uh, I'm sure something will work out. She said, hey, why don't you look around for a coat hanger and maybe you can open the door. So after she got off the phone, that's exactly what she did. She looked around on the ground and in fact found an old rusty coat hanger, possibly by somebody else had locked their keys in the car. Looking at that hanger, she realized, I don't have any idea how to use this to open my car door. So she bowed her head and she asked God to send her some help. Within five minutes, a motorcycle roared up, pulled into the parking space next to her, and a rough, scary-looking old biker got off that and looked at her situation and asked her, can I help you? The woman thought to herself, Lord, this is what I prayed for, but is this who you sent to help me? And she said, well, yes, I, 
I do. I do need some help. I need to open my car door. I need to get home. My daughter is sick. So he walked over to the car, and in less than one minute, that car door was open. She hugged that man, and through tears, she said, thank you so much. You're such a nice man. He said, no, I'm really not a nice ma'am lady. He said, I just got out of prison for car theft. <laughs> With that, the woman hugged the man, and through sobbing tears, she said, God, you're so amazing. You even sent me a professional. <laughs> well, friends, I'm not a biker or a car thief, although my wife accuses me of being a blanket thief. <laughs> but I am here today to help you and to tell you that prayer makes a difference. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thank you for this great passage. I just... I'm so looking forward to it. Just love to share this truth, Lord. Love to think about how much you've meant to me over the years in this great truth. Please, Lord, help us to get this. Lord, whether a person might be in this building at 3 or 93, Lord, please, Holy Spirit, only you can take the truth and adapt it to every person's personal needs. Lord, I know there are people here today that are struggling. Their hearts are heavy. Others are joyful, but Lord, all of us need you. Please, Holy Spirit, meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. There have been a handful of historical documents that have changed human history. I'll share with you three of those. The Magna Carta in 1215. Without the aspects of the practical justice found in this document that has permeated the legal society, the Western world as we know it today would not exist without the Magna Carta, the charter of our freedom. The Declaration of Independence, the single most celebrated document of modern human history. It has been imitated hundreds of times by other countries and groups. And then from the past, the Cyrus Cylinder. It is considered the oldest of all human rights teaching. It is, uh, has many biblical references, actually. It was created in 539 B.C., 500 years before Christ, authored by Cyrus the Great after he took over Babylon. And it today still has powerful principles, perhaps the first ever known principle about the freedom for slavery other than what scripture teaches. And yet with all of these great historical documents, they all pale next to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest human document on the successful human life. Dozens of subjects. Subjects that are both at the same time strongly spiritual and profoundly practical. Not only is the Sermon on the Mount amazing for the topics it covers, but the way they interconnect and the way they segue into each other. In fact, you could go from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to the end in Matthew 8, and you could see how each one is a building block based on the other. It is absolutely incredible. The Sermon on the Mount could be studied for years in its own. 
And so today, we're going to read these first verses, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 7, and then we're going to talk about the subject of prayer. And so let's read it together out loud. You'll find it here on the PowerPoints, or you can read it there. We use the King James Bible here for our public preaching and speaking. Verse 7, let's ready begin. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask him a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? Now, two weeks ago, we examined how important, incredibly important, it is to have people who know the truth, who stand for the truth, who communicate the truth. If we don't do this, if we do not communicate the truth, pure and clear as God gives it to us, as a civilization, we will lose our way. Statesman and philosopher Edmund Burke was a minister and a member of the British Parliament in the late 1700s. Sometimes he's called the father of conservatism. You've heard this famous quote, but I'll give it to you again. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And when it comes to the communicating of Scripture, doing nothing just can't be. We cannot allow that to happen. Jesus said we must give out the truth. We need people, as we read two weeks ago, people who see clearly. You may have to get the beam out of your eye and the speck out of other eyes so that we can all see clearly the truth of Scripture. But not only is the message important, the messenger must be able to not be distracting in what he does. And then he turned the table a little bit and he said something that just totally blew everybody away, I'm sure. He said, but you also need to know, and listen closely, while some people don't qualify to be a messenger, others don't qualify to get the message. And that's where he taught about the subject of dogs and hogs. He said, you know, really, everybody knows that dogs don't appreciate clean food. So you certainly wouldn't want to give something holy to a dog. A hog doesn't understand something valuable like pearls, so you don't give wonderful pearls to a hog. The point was that God's word is so pure, God's word is so clean and beautiful and amazing, it's a huge waste of time and resources to expose the more intimate beauty of Scripture to mockery and to scorners. Now, Jesus was not meaning that we shouldn't take the gospel to people. We are called to give the gospel to the entire world. Solomon weighed in on this amazing paradox in that passage where over the years, many people have come to me and said, Pastor, what's up <laughs> with this? Turn with me to Proverbs 26 and verse 4. Answer not a cool, 
according to his folly. Lest thou be like unto him. Okay, I got that. That makes sense. Now look at the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly. Lest to be wise in his own conceit. What? Okay, I, I thought you just said don't answer a fool. Now in the very next verse it says answer a fool. Is this a contradiction? Not at all. When you depend upon the Holy Spirit, he will give you the wisdom of, to know when to speak and when not to speak. And actually there is a time for both. In some cases, you will soon find it is impossible to outwit, out-insult people who are just determined to do evil. In other cases, a wise person speaks up in the hopes of doing some good, if not for the person you're speaking to, to the simple ones that are close by. At other times, you have to say something, otherwise silence will be viewed as weakness. It could be simply like the situation Groucho Marx said, there are some. He may look like an idiot, he may talk like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. <laughs> And there are people that we come across in life that are like that. And Jesus said, when they're a dog and when they're a hog, you simply don't give them that kind of truth. And so some people would say, well, wait a second. How do I know? I mean, what can I do about this? The answer, the verses we just read. How do I know who to give the truth to? How do I know who to communicate? How do I know when? How do I know how much? How do I know? Ask, seek, knock. God will give you wisdom. You'll be able to make a great difference in this world, but you've got to pray. And as you pray, God will lead you to know who's a dog, who's a hog, and if you need to get the logs out of your own eyes. And let's go to this great passage. There are three very important parts. First of all, there is a premise that is submitted, verse 7. Prayer is the most appointed means of attaining what we need, whatever that might be. It is also the way to get the grace of God to obey Scripture, which for the carnal mind is naturally impossible. Ask, verse 7, ask. Ask, it shall be given you. Now there are three parts to here, and please get this, be very practical. Number one, ask, that is make an actual request. Number one, ask, make an actual request. Now, God has blessed me with many beautiful daughters. God has also given me a lovely wife. My daughters and my wife are 100% female. And from experience, I have learned that our concepts of shopping are different. I always kind of thought that shopping meant buying, but to them, I realize it's not quite the same definition. Men go shopping to buy what they want. Women go shopping to find out what they want. I saw this little picture the other day that maybe explains, let's go shopping, she said. <laughs> it won't take long. The fact is, men can shop for 25 relatives on Christmas Eve in 25 minutes. Now, my point to that is this. 
A lot of Christians do window shopping. They don't really buy anything. They just do window shopping. I've noticed in decades over the years in churches, many people pray when in fact they're not really asking for anything or expecting to get anything. They're just window shopping. They're not really buying. They're just talking. They're just speaking. They're not really going there to get something. Why don't we expect God to answer prayers? Let me give you three quick reasons. The first reason is fatalism. Unfortunately, many Christians have fallen to this unscriptural concept of fatalism. The idea to them is that prayer really doesn't matter. Nothing we say changes anything. I mean, God's going to do what he's going to do, so why bother praying? The second reason that sometimes people don't pray is because of fear. There's just a nervousness almost that somehow they'll not pray the right way, not say the right thing, and so they don't want to get in trouble with God or something. And so if God doesn't change anything anyway, and frankly, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And then the third reason that people don't pray, I find, is because of fullness. That is, their lives are so filled with everything. They're so busy, they just kind of wish they could pray and think it's a good thing to pray. But frankly, there's other things they got to do first. Now, a qualification on that. It is partly true. Sometimes there are other things that are more pressing. If our children are yelling for their food and they're all starving, that's probably not the time for mom to be out in the garden meditating upon the Lord and praying. The balancing truth, however, is maybe mom could get up a little earlier, spend some time with the Lord, and then she could also cook her children breakfast. The fact of the matter is, prayer is asking things from God. One who prays, asks, expecting to receive something. It is not just sharing our burdens, although certainly that's wonderful. Notice what it says in that verse. Ask, receive. Seek, find. Knock, open. The idea is that we're going for something and we receive something. James chapter 2, excuse me, James chapter 4, and verse number 2, I think, says it perfectly. You know James. James is that hardworking half-brother of our Lord, passionate, kind of late on the scene, really didn't get saved till after the resurrection. But notice what he said. You have not because you ask not. I mean, doesn't get more plain than that. There you go. Asking is getting, is having. Now, there are two distinct Greek words in the New Testament for the word ask. Both of them are found in John chapter 16, verse number 23. Let's look at that verse. In John 16, verse 23, Jesus is speaking here. He's about ready to be crucified. These are his final hours on earth. He said, in the day that ye shall ask, and that Greek word is eratajo, Nothing, verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask, Itayo, the Father in my name, he will give it you. Now the first word there, the first word for ask, 
is the word which means to interrogate, to ask a lot of questions, to examine, to get to the bottom of something. It's asking and asking and asking. The second word is quite a different word. It is the idea of a simple request, often from an inferior asking a superior for something. It very much suggests familiarity. The idea then here is Jesus saying, in some cases, you're investigating, you're looking, you're digging into it. But when it comes to talking with God, your father, all you have to do is ask, knowing that he's close to you and he's certainly willing. It'd be kind of like the idea of a child asking a dad for a stick of celery or a carrot stick or something. No dad would ever deny that from him. Sure, if you want carrot sticks, you can eat them until you're orange. Just go for it, son. That's kind of the idea. The idea here is God is trying to say is asking, prayer is asking, and asking is not just a simple thing. Now, there are many people in the world that confuse this. In fact, some are very violent about the matter, very upset about it. There are lots of tragedies that happen in our world, terrible ones, in our, even in America. Some shootings, mass shootings, and other things, it's terrible. And oftentimes, good Christians will say, our prayers are with you. Now, we know the value of that. We know the power of that. And yet, to some people, that just triggers them. That absolutely blows the top of their heads off. Why would such a strange thing make somebody get so upset? Well, here's why. Well, first of all, they have an agenda, and so they, they're focused on that. But second of all, they know that when they pray, they don't ask. In fact, in their mind, praying is just nothing more than whatever. I mean, it's just saying a few words. Or, and it's certainly not praying to a God who actually changes things. But when a Christian says, I'm going to pray for you, friends, that is the most powerful thing in the world because we are asking and believing that the God of the galaxy is going to step into that situation and change it. And so when we pray, it is absolutely incredible. British-American fake journalist Christopher Hitchens wrote a famous and blasphemous book called God is Not Great a few years ago. He, in his book, argues this, prayer is simply a mental delusion. In fact, it is really a moral evil. The idea is that you should do something, not just pray. Sadly, today, many people fall into that crazy snare. Folks, praying is doing something. In fact, it is doing something because it is asking God to step into that. In Mark chapter 10, there was a man blind by the name of sight impaired, proper word is, I guess, today, Bartimaeus. In this wonderful chapter, Bartimaeus meets with God himself, Jesus, God in the flesh. Now, he meets with him. And he cries out, verse 47, Mark 10, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Then our Lord, almost woodenly, it seems like insensitive, says to him, verse 51, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? <laughs> what do you want me to do for you, blind Bartimaeus? <laughs> the blind man said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Now, 
in my mind, I read that little verse and I almost giggle. I'm thinking, blind Bartimaeus is there. And I'm thinking, in his mind, he's thinking, what do I want? Oh, I was kind of wondering about if you knew the price of tea in China or something, but uh, no. What Jesus was asking of him is, what do you really want? Because when you ask it, it means something. The words mean something to God. Too many people only window shop when they pray. They don't really go after anything. They don't really bring anything to the table saying, God, I want you to do something. We're like folks that just kind of do a little tour around the city, never really stopping to get anything. God wants us to be like a big old FedEx truck and just roll up to the warehouse and say, load her up. God says, when you come to heaven, don't just and the, come to the heavenlies and you begin to, don't just talk around God, back up to God and get something from God. Asking is an actual request. Back in the 50s and 60s, I grew up in church, young guy. As a part of the services back then, they often would have what was known as the morning prayer. It was a specific part of the service. It would often be a deacon or a mature saint that would get up and do the public prayer. The only thing is, it really was not much of a prayer. I don't mean it wasn't good. It was good. Sometimes it was praise. Sometimes it was uh, just talking about God. Oftentimes it was excruciatingly long, I can tell you that. But it's interesting because God wants us to actually ask for something. Public prayers are nice, but are we asking for something? Public and other prayers, are we asking are we really asking? The word asking is actually like the word begging. Imagine then a beggar, a panhandler, praying, begging, asking like some people pray to God by quoting poetry. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Can I have some peas now? <laughs> Can you imagine a, 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 a bum, and I guess that's not the right word, a, a hobo, a homeless person, <laughs> I'll get the right word out here, politically correct word, saying poetry, no, when they, they simply beg. That's what we're supposed to do. We don't beat around the bush. God talks about being like a traveler, just simply asking for something. We don't quote poetry we just ask. And so the idea here behind prayer is that it is asking. A premise submitted. Number one, ask. Make an actual request. The second thing is that we will seek. Add your best practical efforts. Now, let me just give us a little concept here. These aren't really steps, meaning you have to do this, you have to do this, and you have to do this before anything will happen. To me, they're more like uh, pieces of evidence before a judge. If you give the judge one piece, he's going to be moved. If you give him two pieces that pretty much substantiate each other, he's going to be more impressed. If you give him three or four or five, that's what we're doing. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking, we're just slowly building a case that the judge of the heaven should do what we're asking for. And so now we're going to seek. I've seen so many people miss the boat on this particular thing. They ask, but they don't 
put any action behind their prayers. We must always second our prayers with our endeavors. If we don't seek for the things we ask for, we tempt God. It is actually presuming on the attributes of God. When our Lord, for example, in Luke chapter 13, was speaking about a tenant farmer in a parable, he said that the farmer, the owner of the land, came to the farmer, the tenant farmer, and said, we're getting rid of these trees. And the tenant farmer asked for a little reprieve. Look what it says. Then said he to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. It's just cumbering up the ground. And so the owner of the land said, We're cutting this down. And then, verse 8, notice the tenant farmer prays. That is, he asks. He answering said in the Lord, Oh, Lord, let it be alone this year also. Give me 365 days reprieve. And then in the meantime, I will dig it and I will dung it. I will uh, fertilize it. I will work it up. I'll, I'll get some water to it. I will see, see if we can make it better. He asked for a reprieve. He both prayed to the Lord, but he also said, I will put in my effort to make sure that it gets done. God blesses efforts. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34, quoted twice in the New Testament, God gives grace to the humble. He doesn't just give grace to obey. He gives grace to those who purposely put away a haughty and proud spirit. God said, if you will humble yourself, God will just pour out his grace on you. It's a conditional thing. There's a great and wonderful reminder, a great Old Testament story in 2 Kings chapter 3. In 2 Kings chapter 3, there was a preacher by the name of Elisha. There were three kings of Israel there, and they were going to go together in battle against Moab. Should have been no problem, except for Lee, there was one big difficulty, and that is that there was no water. Kind of like here in California, there were some definitely water problems. Well, uh, they were wanting to get something done. And so it had come to the point where they're even willing to ask for the preacher to pray. <laughs> you know, it's bad when you're willing to go talk to the pastor. And so they got up and said, Elisha, will you pray for us that God would send rain? He said, I will. Happy to do it on one condition. What? You need to go out there to this valley and make the valley full of ditches. Look what it says in verse 16. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. I want you to get out there and dig those ditches. That was not an easy task to dig those ditches. And yet he said, I will pray. You need to put some effort into this thing. When I prepare a message or maybe I'm writing an article, or I'm working on a book in my office, uh, whether it be my home office or here at the church, I don't just sit there and pray, Lord, give me a message. Lord, give me a message. Now, I do that. But I don't just sit there and say, Lord, help me, help me. I pray, Lord, you just have it appear magically on that paper. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And if I, that happened, I think I'd be more scared than anybody for sure. God doesn't work that way. God wants us to put our efforts. 
Here's another illustration. 20 plus years ago, we had a dream to have a very broad ministry that was a region changing ministry. And I believe God's doing that. And the future is so exciting and bright. But as a result of that, we were going to need a bigger and more land. And still is the case. We're still thinking and praying about that. But rather than simply praying or even just occasionally looking at the newspaper, we sought. We not only asked, we sought. And that is we just went to different areas and we began looking for property that we might be able to purchase and we contacted the owners and we just saw where that would lead us. And God honored that and God raised up an amazing man, a cardiologist from Tracy, Dr. Graywall, and the relationship began there. And when we, uh, after we spoke about what we'd like to do and purchase this 12 acres, and I told him how we'd be able to do it, and we wouldn't be able to pay cash for it, nor would we be able to borrow. Uh, but uh, if we could work out this agreement, uh, this is what we'd like to do. And uh, he uh, listened to me, a very wonderful man, great integrity, listened to me quietly, and he said, let me uh, see if I understand what you're saying. You want to buy this 12 acres? I said, yes, sir. He said, you don't have any money, really? I said, no, sir. He said, you're not going to borrow any money? I said, no. He said, and you will not pay any interest? I said, no, we won't. He said, okay, I'll go home and talk to my wife and family. And, uh, and then when he called back, he said, uh, Pastor, if God wants a house of prayer on my 12 acres, who am I to say no? And... Uh, that wonderful Sikh doctor there, and God did a great work. Now, that all happened because not only were we asking, we were seeking, and we just put it out there, and then God blessed. A premise submitted, ask, make an actual request, seek, add your best practical efforts, and then number three, knock. Never stop asking. Never stop. Knock. Just keep knocking. Keep knocking. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob persisted with God and he wrestled with God. He got out a blessing from God. That next morning, he went out to meet with his brother Esau unafraid. He kept knocking. In Daniel chapter 9, he persevered. He knocked until the angel Gabriel came down and made known what God's plan was for the future of Israel. In Luke chapter 11, Dr. Luke, in that powerful parable about hospitality, he gave a great story. In verse number 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity will he rise and give him as many as he needed. The great word there, importunity, it's an old English word, but it means urgent persistence. Asking for the point of something being a bother. In this particular story, a man had a friend come to his house, visit, but he didn't have any food for his friend. Well, you want to feed your friend. And so he went to a neighbor next door at midnight to get food for his guest. And he knocked on the door. Now, Jesus was talking to this crowd. He said, 
Now, what would it be like if you went to your neighbor's house at midnight and knocked on the door and then ran? God said, that just wouldn't work. That's not the way it is done. You knock and you keep knocking and you keep knocking because anything else would be rude. God's man, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29, schooled the people there. He said, if you're looking for God, you've got to keep knocking. You've got to keep looking. In chapter 29, verse 13, you shall seek me, you will find me, if you'll search for me with all your heart. Are we searching? Are we looking? Are we keeping going? Are we keep knocking? God said, you just keep knocking. You just keep praying until God says no. Now, there are times when God says that. The book of 1 John says, there is a time when I say that you no longer pray. But for the most part, for most of us, if once, once we know this is from God, we're asking, we are doing our part, then we just keep knocking. You'd say, well, why does God want that? Well, it makes us serious. It makes us dependent. It builds our faith. It is a tremendous way to just participate with God in the whole thing. A premise submitted. We need to ask, really ask a request. Number two, we need to seek, put practical efforts to it. Number, <clears throat> number three, keep on knocking. <clears throat> Not only a premise submitted, but now a premise, excuse me, a promise attached. Look at verse number seven. He initiates the promise. Like any good contract, there has to be an initiator. God makes it all up and clear in front. He says, ask, it'll be given to you. That's the contract. I'm going to make it with you. You ask, I give to you. You seek, I'll give it to you. You knock, I'll give it to you. He specifically enters into a contract of prayer. He said, if you'll pray, I'll give it to you, but you've got to do this. We're not, God wants to do this. He longs to do this. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer said, when praying for others, we are not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his highest willingness. Friends, God wants us to keep knocking because he's willing, but he's entering into a contract with us and he asks us to do this. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking, and you'll get the job done. Actually, in this particular passage, well, let me get to that in a moment. Let's go to the next thing. Verse number eight, the promise is repeated. Not only initiated, but now repeated. For everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Here is where I think the beautiful King James English is so wonderful. Notice the change. It's not ask, it's asketh. It's not receive, it's receiveth. It's not seek, it's seeketh. The idea here is that now it is no longer in the aorist tense in the Greek. It is now present tense. He's changed. The idea is not just a one-time tense, past asking. No, this is the idea is asketh, asketh, asking, asking, seeking, seeking, knocking, knocking. And I love what it says. Everyone, put your name right there, okay? That's your name right there. 
everyone. Tim, Susie, Julie, Charlie. That's your name right there. Did you know your name is in the Bible? Everyone. Right there. Everyone. If you have a physical Bible, just write your name. For if Tim keeps asking and asking and asking and asking, he's going to keep receiving and receiving and receiving. God's grace doesn't wear out. He said, just keep asking, keep seeking. Folks, we got to ask, not just beat around the bush. Ask God for something. Not just go around the town, you know, looking at, no, back up your truck. Let God put the load in. He said, everyone, Jews get answers. Gentiles get answers. Young, old, male, female, wealthy, poor, it makes no difference all alike. If you will keep asking and keep coming to me, you'll get an answer. I'll skip a verse here. We're at the end of our time. Number, the third point is the promise is illustrated. Verses 9 and 10. Good illustrations are like windows. They kind of help you see in. Look at this amazing window. Verse 9. Now what man of you is there that would ask, if his son asked for bread, he'd give him a stone, or if he asked for a fish, he'd give him a serpent. Bread. The bread that they would... All bread really is like that today. I'm, I see more people making their own bread now, and many of them, I've even seen my wife. My wife makes these tortillas, kind of like bread. She makes these little tortilla balls, you know, and then flattens those things out and fries them up, puts butter on them. I'm telling you right there, folks, that's just, that's just like manna from the Old Testament. But anyway, so folks take, the, folks take, they take that little dough ball, now, those dough balls are nice. They're soft if you, if you work with them. But if you let them harden, they're a rock. So God is saying, who would, if their son asked for bread, who would give their son a dough ball, a hard rock, and they would actually look like the little limestones there? He said, nobody would do that. That'd be cruel. Break his little teeth. You know, it's sad. Don't do that. And... Um, then, in verse 10, he says fish. He said, if he asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent? Now, fish in the Old Testament were a clean food. A serpent was not. It was an unholy food. Not that there was anything sinful about it. It was just that God had put that in part of the Old Testament law. It was a ceremonial part of the law. So he was saying, if your son asks for a pure fish under the law, who would defile their son's morality by giving them an old greasy eel. Nobody, no good father would give his son a dough ball, hard dough ball, break his teeth, or would defile his child by giving him something unclean. The, point, the whole, what he's trying to point out is that if that's the case with you, and verse 11, if you being evil, and just let's just put it down right now, all of us have an evil nature. We are born with a sin nature. We live with a sin nature. And even when we ask Christ to come into our life, we never get rid of our sin nature. It's always present with me, Paul said in the book of Romans. Now, thank God, God's spirit in us can overcome that. But the point is that God has no evil nature about him. And that's why the last thing we can say is that there is a probability expected. Verse 11 that we can be very sure that God's going to do this. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give you things that 
You ask him. Now, everybody knows that just about any father would give his son some bread. And you certainly wouldn't try to defile him with an old unclean eel. But he said, how much more would a holy God do that? The idea here is that 99.999% you can go to God and get answers to your prayer. Now, how many of us feel like that's how confident we are? Do we feel 99.999% confident that we're going to get what we ask for? Do we? That's how we're supposed to feel. That's what God's telling us here. If you being evil would give this to your children, then how much more would a God who doesn't have even a spot of evil even give it to you? But you've got to follow the steps. Ask. Really ask. Don't just beat around the bush, quoting Pope prayer poetry all the time. Ask for something. Ask for something that will give glory to God, will be for the benefit of his kingdom, be for your blessing. Then put your feet to it. Give efforts to it. And then keep knocking. When we were younger, I shouldn't admit this, but uh, we played Ding Dong Ditch. Have you ever played that? It's a terrible thing to do to neighbors. Uh, you know, ring and run. You ring their doorbell and then you run. And it was especially good if you did it to somebody who was the old mean person in the neighborhood. But, uh, and I know none, none of you did that, did you? None, none, nobody. And uh, I see all these angelic looks here, but uh, I must admit I, I did that once or, well, anyway, um, God said, don't play ding dong ditch with me. Don't play, don't play ring and run. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. I'm not some heavenly Karen up there that's uh, mad at you for asking these things. He said, 99.9%. If your parents would do it for you, how much more would I do it for you? Keep on asking. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. How much more? How much more? Dr. John R. Rice was one of my heroes. He was known as the 20th century's greatest Christian pen by many. He was the last of the old time evangelists. He would go to cities and collect churches would come together. He'd preach. He was just an incredible man of God. He was really a student of R.A. Torrey, I learned. And that's why maybe why I love R.A. Torrey's writings and John R. Rice. But John R. Rice, this great man of God who knew prayer, wrote a classic book called prayer, asking and receiving. Here's what he said about when we get to heaven. He said, when we get to heaven, we're going to walk inside our mansion. We're going to open up the cupboards in that kitchen. And we're going to look at all the things there. We're going to go in that front room, open the closet, look at all the stuff with things. And we're going to turn around and ask God, what are all these? And God is going to say, these were all the things you could have had on earth had you just simply asked. Had you simply asked and sought and kept knocking. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Here this morning, we're going to ask our worship team to come. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, Thank you for joining us.